We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley is here. I am here on this Wednesday. I do not know what Cooley has prepared, but he's going to explain um, what drip means to me here shortly. But I wanted to read this very nice review, and we've gotten a lot of these nice reviews recently. And if you haven't reviewed us on Apple in particular, and you can give us five stars and write a couple of sentence sentences on how much you love the show that is really helpful to us to us this came from xander cooley on heineke can't shoot 72 but can make a par when he needs it on 17 and 18 with one of the best moments and best analogies on a show that's that's had plenty of them i love you guys when the two of you are together talking ball and almost anything else it's my favorite show kev other guys in town, always assume the former player is right. You don't, and I love that about you. Keep it up. Thanks to the both of you. Uh, that was from Xander. Um, yes, I think X-A-N-D-E-R would be Xander, would be the pr- correct pronunciation. It wouldn't be Xander, I don't think. Like X-A-V-I-E-R is Xavier, not Xavier. But some people you pronounce it, it right, Xavier. Right. I think I got yeah, it right. I'm sure you got it right. I think I got it right. From Melvin. Alexander would have to be like EX. Well, yes, probably. You never know how names are. It is funny. You just never know how people spell and pronounce names. I have heard. You don't want to assume. I have heard people pronounce um, X-A-V-I-E-R, Xavier. You know, Xavier. I'm talking about the person who has the name. So maybe that's okay. just different than Xander with an X. I don't know. Melvin, um, Melvin sent us a note. Do you think all four NFC East teams can make the playoffs? Is that even allowed? Uh, thank you, Melvin. Melvin gave us five stars as well. It is allowed, and it's only possible now because you have three wild cards, which we went to in 2020 for the first year, seven conference teams uh, into the postseason. And yes, there is a possibility all four NFC East teams can make the postseason. Uh, right now, Philadelphia, the Giants, and the Cowboys look pretty solid, although the Cowboys, 
you know, after losing on Sunday and blowing that 14-point lead, they have the Vikings this week. Um, they still have the Eagles and the Giants again. By the way, the Cowboys and Giants on Thanksgiving Day will do a massive audience. Already, the Cowboy-Green Bay game from Sunday was the highest-rated game of the year on any of the NFL networks. Um, and on Thanksgiving Day, uh, Cowboys-Giants will be huge. Um, but yeah, I think... I mean, I... Right now, Cooley, you want me to give you a quick rundown? Have you been following the playoff uh, situations here or not? Closely. Okay. So let's just assume Philly wins the NFC East. I mean, it's possible that they won't. I mean, they, the, the Giants, they still have two games with the Giants. So the Giants, if they ended up beating Philadelphia, sweeping them, could win the division. Uh, they still have another game with the Cowboys, but the Cowboys losing that game to the Packers, you know, hurts. But let's just say the Cowboys win the NFC East, Minnesota wins the NFC North. Those are safe bets at this point. Um, Tampa, you know, for just pick one, wins the NFC South, and and Tampa right now has a full game lead over Atlanta. And the key here, okay, the key to Washington having a chance for the seven seed. Which, by the way, they could, you know, they could end up overtaking the Giants or the Cowboys. They still have two games with the Giants and a game with the Cowboys. The key is the NFC West, the way I see it. Seattle is six and four, a half game ahead of the 49ers, who are five and four. But Seattle has two games with the horrific Rams, who have lost Cooper Cup now for the next six weeks. They have a game with the Raiders, the Panthers. Uh, They do have the Niners one more time. They have the Chiefs and they have the Jets. But they're going to win four more games. They're going to get to 10. And then the 49ers are 5-4, and Cooley. And they play the Cardinals and the Saints the next two weeks. All right, favorites and good chance for them to get to 7-4. and They still have the Raiders and the Cardinals at the end of the year. That would probably get them to 9. And really, they will be, you know, right now, a favorite over Washington on Christmas Eve. So it's the NFC West that you got to be concerned with because they, the division winner and the second-place team probably have pretty good chances to get to 10. Now, if you think... Washington can win five of their final seven to get to 10, and one of them's against the 49ers on the road on Christmas Eve. Well, they could get in. Can you imagine the fourth-place team in the division having 10 wins in all four teams? That's the way I see it. I think it's going to be tough if you win nine. Um, I thought nine would do it before, but I think both teams in the West are going to have 10 wins. What do you see? I don't know if Seattle absolutely gets to 10 wins. I'm not a huge believer in the Seattle Seahawks. I'm super impressed with what they've done early in the season with Geno Smith, but I don't, I, and I agree that they're going to play some teams. They're going to play the Rams twice and the Rams are horrible right now. And Wofford's not good. And Cooper cups out, but I don't, I don't just think it's a gimme that they beat the Rams. Seattle's not a juggernaut team. They come out and try to run the ball and, and they should play great defense. But if Wofford gets a little bit better, I think the Rams have a shot to beat them one of those couple games. I think San Francisco, without question, is going to win the division. I don't know if I, – I think San Francisco is a team that could win out. They have everyone healthy right now. They're playing great ball. Uh, they have more weapons right now than I think anybody else, really. I mean, 
The Vikings have great weapons, but San Francisco's stacked, and they, they're the best defense in the league. And I think San Francisco is the best team in the NFC right now. I, don't I think they're better than the Eagles. I think they're better than the Vikings, and I think they're the best team in the NFC. I just think that they've been banged up early in the year, but they're not banged up at this point. I don't disagree uh, with I'm, you. I don't disagree I'm with you. Not, I love the Niners. Uh, yeah. But the issue then is really Seattle. I mean, you go through the Niners, seriously, offensively. If Garoppolo can play and they stay balanced, then they're in great shape. You get, you have Debo Samuel and Ayuk and Kittle and Christian McCaffrey and the other dude who ran it Sunday night was terrific. It, I mean, it's a, it's a loaded team. It, I don't think Garoppolo's a great quarterback, but the offense is so stacked it should be balanced. I'm not a huge believer in the Dallas Cowboys. But I, I think that they're good enough to beat bad teams. I, I think they'll beat any bad teams they play. So I think Dallas is I think Dallas Kev is in pretty good shape. The Giants the crazy thing about the Giants is they have beaten the Packers and the Ravens. Yeah. And the Packers are like, before last week looked like a nothing win. The Ravens that's a good win, but they beat the Titans, the Panthers, the Bears, the Jags the Texans. Those are not impressive wins, in my opinion. And they're playing a schedule coming up with Detroit, Dallas, Washington, Philly, Washington, and then Minnesota. They get the, they get the Colts. And they, they can lose five games. And I would not be surprised. I like the way they're coached, and I think it's a team that is going to be good in the future. But like, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Giants team not make the playoffs. If that's crazy. Um, uh, Tampa I, Bay is a team that I think is finally coming on and is healthy. And they're, I think Tampa Bay is really the clear winner in that god-awful division in the South. But then you're like, what is Atlanta? You know, and it's amazing that a 3-7 and seven Panthers team, who's not going to make it, they're starting Baker Mayfield, but they're still alive in that division. Well, what about Green Bay? I mean, tomorrow night is their season. If they can beat Tennessee, all of a sudden, in you know four days, they've won two games against the Cowboys and the Titans, and they're sitting there at five and six. And then you look at them the rest the of the Titans way. Titans have won like five out of six since they had that bad start. But I, I want I mean, Green Bay. The thing with Green Bay is you, they still they play the Titans, the Eagles, the Bears are going to be tough. But Green Bay usually dominates the Bears for some reason. But then they still they finish with Minnesota. And Miami in the last of Detroit, like they have some tough games. They essentially have to win all the games that they have. I mean, Green Bay's four and six. That they, well, they don't have to win think, them all. They, they, they don't have to win them all. They, they, they have to win. They, they got to win at least five to get to nine and eight to have a chance. Yeah, and in that they got to win two out of the next three. Definitely I think, to do that. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I'm not. Like dead sold on Green Bay, I, and I, so I, we talked about Green Bay a little bit on Monday. I I think it's a team with too much conflict. I want to go to back on to, a run like that. I want to go back to Seattle uh, because for the first time this year, I actually watched them start to finish in the game Sunday morning from Munich. I was impressed. I was impressed with Geno Smith. I, I think one of the things, and I asked Jay Gruden about this. I don't know two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when he was on the podcast. You know, we were talking about in Seattle, and I said, what is it about a guy like Geno Smith who just hangs around, hangs around, hangs around, and then all of a sudden, at 32, he's having, you know, this season? And he said, well, the one thing about Geno Smith that everybody knew when he came out of Florida State, he could make every throw. 
He said that was never a doubt with Geno. Uh, out of West Virginia, I meant. Um, wh- uh, I was thinking about the other guys, CJ, um, uh, EJ Manuel. Uh, Geno Smith, he said, could make every throw. We knew it when he came out. And, you know, it was just some guys, the light goes on and they figure it out after a while. It takes a while to learn how to, the posi- how to play the position, but he can make every throw. I thought something else was really evident to me watching Geno Smith Sunday. He can make plays. He's got a super yeah. quick release, too. And Kenneth Walker is a great back. Now, they could not run it against Tampa on Sunday. That was a real problem for them on Sunday. But I like some of their defensive players. I think they're well-coached. And I look at what they have the rest of the way. They've already got six wins. They've got the Raiders this – they've got a bye week. Then they have the Raiders. They've got the Rams and the Panthers. I mean, that – the Rams on the road, I I think the Rams are done. I I know you don't want to think they're done with Sean. Oh, I have no problem with them being done. I mean, Matt Stafford's clearly not healthy. You know, he's got an issue with that elbow, and now he doesn't have his best receiver. And Cooper Cup's their offense. Exactly. So I, I think they, you know, they could easily win the next three, and then they're sitting there at nine and four, and then really the rest of the way, they almost have to, you know, win one to get to the, to, to get to the seven seed. You know, and, you know, maybe they lose to the 49ers and the Chiefs. Okay. Uh, they've got the Jets and the Rams at home to finish up their season. They'd get one of those. I think Seattle's... The Jets are a good football team. I know they are. I know they are. I understand that. I just think that there's a, a, a path and not a super hard path for a team that's much more impressive than I, than I knew before Sunday and watching them against Tampa Bay. You know, they had a chance there at the end. After Brady threw that interception... And, you know, they, 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 scored, uh, they scored that they, – they, then they fumbled the ball back. Um, but they were down 21-16, you know, one stop away after that, that weird Brady inter- interception where he threw it right to the, uh, the, the linebacker in the middle. I forget who it was who picked it off. Um, I just don't – I think you're shorting Seattle a little bit. And I, the Giant thing is, a very inter- is an interesting conversation too – because the Giants play the Lions, the Washington twice, the Colts. Now they do play the Eagles twice, but they've already got, you know, they're already sitting there with seven wins. Their games against Washington are going to be huge, but it's almost like Washington almost has to sweep the Giants to pass them. I think that's, I'm not saying that they can't beat the Giants once. Do you think they're going to sweep them? I like Washington right now. I mean, it's funny because in the in the NFC, as I'm looking at these teams, um, I, I'm kind of with you on Dallas. I don't trust Dallas. Uh, I, 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 but I think I trust everybody else. I trust Philadelphia. I think I trust the Giants actually a little bit more because of their ability to win these games they're supposed to win, and they've got a bunch of those. I trust Minnesota much more after last week. I trust Tampa to get it together. I definitely trust the 49ers. I don't trust Arizona at all, but they're four and six. Um, I, but you I, got Colt McCoy for a great game. You know what? They're better off with Colt McCoy. Some, I, I really am. I, I, I'm just not a Kyler Murray guy. With those, with the weapons that they have at receiver, a lot of Arizona is. Can we just distribute the ball? Yeah, and Kyler Murray doesn't distribute the ball. Not well enough. Nope. Here's a question. 
But it's crazy because you look at it like I, I'm still like I'm still not dead sold on Tampa. Me neither, because there's still they, something kind of wrong. Been, they haven't been able to run the ball, and they did on Sunday. They did on Sunday. They they absolutely did. They beat a Seattle team that had to fly for 22 hours to Germany. Right. And they only beat them by five. But Well, and it, I mean, it was not. Well, they needed, I'll tell you what, that. they needed to make some first downs on that close. last drive they, or they would have lost the game because it looked like Geno and company were, were coming. They were in control of that game. Okay. Like they were, they, they I, were in control of that game the entire game. Well, yes. But it's, it's funny because you're sitting here like, I think the two hottest teams, not the Vikings, right? And the Eagles, uh, we all know who the Eagles, but the two hottest teams right now are San Francisco and Washington. Yep. And they're sitting there at seven and eight. I don't know how you can how how you would say that the Giants aren't hot. I mean, they've won five out of their last six. That's true, and the and they've won some games. I, I mean, same with Washington, though. You can say the same thing. They could have lost all of them. They could have lost to Green Bay. They could have lost to Indy. They could have lost to, to to Philly on Monday night. If they if that face mask gets called on Monday night, the Eagles are going to take the lead. Now, I wouldn't put it past this team maybe. to come back down and maybe kick a field goal for the game winner, um, because they, they you know the, the, Heineke's done that a couple times. But because Heineke could, essentially couldn't miss in the game, he he didn't miss much. He missed one deep. Not much. Um, here's another question. Before, but they're like, yeah, is Heineke going to be on fire? Every, every, I mean, he started the show with that. With the, the Heineke's not going to shoot par. I mean, except for you know maybe once a year. I, well, I still think it, I still think it's a good analogy. I think it's a great analogy. Just because I I mean we're going to get to you know the the. The game on Monday night, get Cooley's thoughts, get whatever he's done film-wise on the game here. Um, but, you know, the probably by the time people listen to this, uh, they will know for sure that Taylor Heineke is going to be the starting quarterback. Ron Rivera played with everybody a little bit. He's going to talk to the trainer. He's going to do this. I mean, Taylor Heineke is going to start Sunday. He's just trying to make it sound nice for Carson Wentz. Yeah. I, I actually have a point to make here in a second. But I wanted to ask this other question about the NFL. Right now, give me the two teams you think will be in the Super Bowl. San Francisco and Kansas City. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Dolphins or the Bills were in it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings, I think the Vikings and San Francisco in the East, I am not yet sold on Billy. Really? Why? I, I understand they're 8-1. Why? Why aren't you sold on them? Well, they just lost to Washington. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but why watching them are you not sold on them? Because I think the way they play, I think they're... When it comes to... People have started... I think Washington had a great game plan on both sides of the ball, and we can get into that. But I think that there, there's a way and a path to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And I don't know if they're going to be able to counteract what teams are going to be able to do against them. We'll see. I, I just, okay, let's put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't blow me away if Philly ends up making the way to the Super Bowl. But I think, I think that they're a better team. I think that the 49ers are a better team. It's funny because they're sitting there 5-4, and four, 
And I think Minnesota right now is electric. I think that San Francisco right now, for me, I'm with you. I agree. Sorry, Xander, but I'm, I'm going to agree with Cooley on this because I actually picked him in my midseason um, predictions on the radio show with my producer Denton the other day to be in the Super Bowl. Um, I, I think the 49ers are the team that can go on the road and win with that defense. I don't think Minnesota can go on the road and win in the postseason. I don't think their defense is good enough. I, I just don't. Now, if Minnesota ends up with home field advantage um, and they play that, you know, uh, they get a bye because right now they're eight and one. The Eagles are eight and one. So there's a race for the number one seed, and it's only the number one seed that gets a bye. But if they end up having, you know, two games at home to get to the Super Bowl, they've got a chance. If they've got to go on the road and play the 49ers or play the Eagles, no, no chance. I don't even think they can go to Philadelphia and win. I mean, they got they got absolutely. I don't. I don't, I don't understand. I, I, but I don't understand why you say that because look at what Minnesota's offense is. I know that you, you go on the road and you get run on a little bit. Minnesota has a chance to score three touchdowns in any quarter. I know that. What they but have they're not good. De- Coolly, they're not. They're, they're, not, they're not good defensively. The they're not good defensively. I, I the 49ers that, and the Eagles are. Like, not good defensively might be giving up twenty eight, and you know you can get twenty eight. The 49ers and, like, and the Eagles have that. on the road and they give up 40, it, yeah, that's going to be really tough. But Minnesota can score, and they can score on the road. They have a quarterback who can absolutely operate with noise, with whatever he has going on around him, and he's got the weapons to do it. I see, this, I see the 49ers as the most complete team fully healthy in the NFC. And the team that I would totally trust more than any other team in the NFC to go on the road and win at Minnesota, at Philly, um, which may have to happen. To me, they're the team that I don't love about San Francisco. The quarterback. Yes, and essentially because of that, they don't score. San Francisco has only scored 30 once this year. And that's against Carolina. Didn't they score uh, more than 30 against the Rams recently? Oh, sorry, 31 against the Rams. But the Rams were terrible. Mm -hmm. So Carolina and the Rams, they've only scored 30 twice. I don't see – I think they're a dominant offense. But Garoppolo's got to make plays and throws. This is my only problem with with San Francisco is they get into a game – like the Chiefs game a couple weeks ago. Where they're up, I think they're up 10 0 or 14 0. Yeah, they, they were. And they like just that. can't keep up with Kansas, Kansas City. And, like Mahomes ends up putting up 44 in that defense. And he was amazing. But they just can't keep but up they, with but that. But they don't have to play the Chiefs. They don't, have don't to, know, like, they don't have to play the Chiefs yeah, to like get Minnesota there. Minnesota could put it on them, but Minnesota could score that way. Not in. Philly, it, Philly can score that way. I agree with you. I agree with you. This is a bad matchup for a lot of teams, but I don't think that they're the worst matchup the way they play against Minnesota and Philly. You called something last year before the postseason started. You called the Rams and you said OBJ is the difference maker for the Rams. This year when the trade for McCaffrey happened, you said that's the difference maker because he's going to dictate coverage and it's going to make life a lot easier for Garoppolo. So we'll see whether or not they can develop more offensively and score more. Now let's not forget that last year they got to the NFC Championship game and they were a minute away from going back to the Super Bowl, scoring 23 at Dallas, 13 at Green Bay, 
And in the moment, they had a, they only had 17 against the Rams. So I just think that they are so good defensively. Defense travels in the postseason, and they can run the football. And they've proven that they can win playoff games on the road with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. I just trust them no, more. I, don't, just because I said what concerns me, I, I, my, my pick is still the 49ers. I, I would still pick San Francisco to be in. Like, I'm not changing my pick here. I, I would just have a concern about a couple matchups. Now, I'm, uh, there's a chance that they don't play Minnesota, or there's a chance that they don't end up having to play Philly Yeah, when they get in a playoffs. I mean, you might have to go through them both, but you might not. And that, like, you might not even face one of them, the depending on where you sit and how, what, what, the way it plays out. But those are the two teams I think provide bad matchups for San Francisco. The one thing that you said about Philadelphia, it's funny because a few weeks ago I said as much as I loved Philadelphia preseason and as much as I think Jalen Hurts has not only taken a small step but a big step as a pocket passer too. And I thought he was impressive on Monday night actually. They didn't have a lot of snaps, but I thought he was pretty impressive. Um, and I could see Philadelphia making it to the Super Bowl. But I, but I think Philadelphia is going to be one of those teams that's going to need home field advantage. Minnesota would desperately need home field advantage. Um, in the postseason. I just don't think San Francisco does. Uh, in some ways, I don't think Tampa would need it uh, either. Um, in the AFC, by the way, I think, you know, with the Chiefs, you know, it's funny. I, it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. That's their team. That's been their – well, tra- Travis Kelsey. It's Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey. Their defense is – Eh, not that great. They they don't have Tariq Kill on the team. I mean, they got some players. There's some guys out there. And by the way, Kadarius Tony had a pretty good debut out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter because they can score like they did against the 49ers defense, like 40 points in two and a half quarters. So if they're playing at Arrowhead, they're going to the Super Bowl. But I still think that Buffalo is very capable of getting to the Super Bowl and still having a great regular season and ending up with home field advantage. I mean, they have lost three games by a grand total of eight points. The Dolphins, the Jets, and the Vikings. You know, I still think that the Bills could end up with home field advantage throughout, and I think Casey, look, Casey could win that game. Um, but I think, I think those are the teams. But I don't discount Miami, and I still, if Cincinnati's healthy – with Chase and Burrow, I still think that they're dangerous in, in in a postseason. They proved it last year. You know, they 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 went on the road and beat Tennessee. They went on the road and beat the Chiefs in the AFC title game. The team that I'm not sold on, uh, that I think you are, I'm not sold on the Ravens. There's something about the Ravens that's a little bit off this year to me. But their defense isn't as good. Yeah, but it might be now with Roquan Smith, and it looked pretty good against the Saints, who are not good offensively. So that is that is very true, though. Roquan Smith is a huge ad. Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm I'm way with you on Buffalo. I I think Buffalo. The difference is what they are defensively, right right now. Yeah. Ed Oliver is an absolute stud. Von Miller is a complete difference maker, and he's playing that way this year. I think Tremaine Edmonds is phenomenal. I like Matt Buono. Tredavious White is back. Jordan Poyer. I mean, they lost they need him Micah back. Hyde, yeah. right? Or, they lost Micah Hyde for the year, yes. But, man, 
they have three levels of good players on defense. And I would not ever question Josh Allen. I mean, he may make a bad play, but there would never be a moment where he took his team down the field and then I said, wow, he did it. Like, he's a freaking stud. Yeah, he's, so, he's a bit of a I mean, roller coaster. That's, but... that's, I'm like, the Cincinnati thing's interesting. Are they, they, I'm, I, there are games, if Cincinnati, the, the game that Burrow threw, what, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, he threw for like 470 yards. Yeah. And they're just lighting it up. They, they're, they have the capability to be awesome. But there are games where they can't protect him and he's not getting looks. And they are struggling. Like, they have been either. They're, I mean, they're a Jekyll and Hyde team, really. Yeah, I love. Bur- I think Burrow's a terrific player. If you if you could protect him a little bit, I just don't know if he, they're going to be able to protect him in big games, especially against teams with Ed Oliver and Von Miller. Yeah, I mean, I think if Buffalo's at home, it's like I don't know that that place is just different. I mean, Arrowhead's great too, but we saw the Chiefs nearly lose to Buffalo, and they did they did lose the following week to Cincinnati um it's gonna be a fascinating rest of the season and postseason I mean I would still say that Buffalo and Kansas City and then I would throw the 49ers and the Eagles into you know they are the top four teams I still don't see Minnesota being at that level I don't I think uh, you know Minnesota doesn't have Mahomes um, and because I, I, I use that as a comparison because I don't think Kansas City's defense is great. Uh, Buffalo, Philly, um, and San Francisco are all capable of playing lights out defensively. The Philadelphia missed Jordan Davis a ton on Monday night, and they'll get him back at some point, and they'll be more stout against the run. But the 49ers, we're in agreement on them. I mean, I think if they stay healthy, even with Jimmy G., they're going to be hell to deal with. The issue is just, you know, how many games are they going to have to win to win the division to at least get the first game at home before they have to get on the road? Because I'm not, I'm not shorting Seattle the way it sounded like you were. The, what, what started all this conversation is can the NFC East get four? They can. I'm starting to think now, though, that, you know, nine minimum and more likely than not ten – is going to do it. Um, and the NFC can't get four. Well, they, they all can. play each other too much. Well, they still can. They're not going to. Well, if I don't think they're going to either. I'm just saying that it's... They, they play, they have too many games against each other. Well, so do the other divisions. You know, they're and they have lesser records right now. Yeah, well, the other divisions don't have to get more than one in. I well, that's that's true. No, that that's that, you're right. That that was that was the appropriate point there. Yes, but what if the Giants and what if the Giants do to the Eagles what Washington did? What if the wins come at the expense of the Eagles down the stretch? You're looking more at the okay, Giants. Here, let me just stop. Let me just stop you. Is Seattle going to make the playoffs? I think they are. Is the 49ers going to make the playoffs? Definitely. The, the NAFC isn't getting four. Well, I understand that. If that well, happens, they can't get four. So, we stop. <laughs> I don't have to stop if I don't want to stop. I, I, stop. They, it, it, what did you say? Here, the, the way the NFC doesn't get four is, is the only outcome is my outcome. It's shorting Seattle. 
I think that's how it all started, and I pointed to the NFC West as the problem when I when I when I answered Melvin when I answered Melvin's question. The NFC West is the problem. Well, Seattle's essentially got to almost lose out. I mean, Seattle's got they can only win a couple more games for the NFC East to get four. Seattle will be the, the NFC East gets four. The fourth out of the four is is getting nine wins. You're not getting four teams in the NFC with ten wins in the East. That's right. I think it's impossible. Well, no, it's not impossible for everybody to get to ten. I've already done that. I understand it's not. I think it's near impossible. It would be. It would definitely be a, a stretch. The you NFC like plus six thousand on my book. The the NFC West is the key. Seattle's got to falter, or the 49ers have to have a bunch of injuries again and falter against what is a, a difficult schedule at times for them. Still playing the Dolphins, and playing Green the Bucks, and Green Bay and Atlanta can't find a way to get a little bit hot. Yeah. Look, for Washington, Sunday is the absolute game of the year for them at Houston. If they lose to Houston, you can write them off. And they are only a three-point favorite at Houston Sunday. All right, let's get to your thoughts on the Monday night game and whatever you did from a film standpoint. Oh, by the way, what's you, you, you started uh, before we started recording, you said, I'm getting my drip on. What does that mean? I was joking with you. Um, before I, I learned that from a fifth grade girl last night. So. What, what does it mean? Drip is like swag. Oh, okay. Drip is means in slang that your look or style is extremely fashionable or sexy. You're hot. You're cool. You're on point. You got you got the sauce. <laughs> You're reading. Awesome. You're reading from the Urban Dictionary right now. All right, drip <laughs> is, is a metaphor. You're dripping with money, designer clothes, or confidence. Or as Bruno Mars sang on his January 18th finesse remix with Cardi B, "We out here dripping in finesse. It don't make no sense." That's drip. Perfect. Let's try to make sense out of the game Monday night. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. 
Uh, my bookie right now has Philadelphia as a plus 230 favorite to win the NFC Championship, followed by the 5-4 and four San Francisco 49ers. All right, they are plus 410 ahead of Minnesota, who's 8-1 and one at plus 480, and the Cowboys at plus 600. Where's Washington moved up? Uh, they're still a, a massive long shot at plus 8,000 ahead of only the Saints, Falcons, Lions, Panthers, and Bears. But there you go. Um, the odds makers now have, uh, and the books now have, the 49ers as the second pick in the NFC to win the NFC Championship. Uh, Sunday's line uh, for the game right now at my bookie uh, is Washington minus three uh, with a very low total in this game, 40 and a half. Uh, Washington at Houston. All right, before you, we get to any of the film stuff that you did for today, just tell me what you thought of the game because we haven't talked about it on the podcast. What did you think of their win Monday night? I think that it was a game in which everything went right. They played a great football game. And Washington is going to have some mistakes. Every team is going to have a couple mistakes. But I think so much in that game went right for them. Down to a face mask that's not called and a quarterback roughing on the last offensive play. I mean... A, a block or a punt that's almost blocked that you end up having a running into the punter. They had a pick right after that, but they had a lot of they fumble. had a lot of strip good sack fumble, strip sack fumble right after that. Yeah, on the yeah. opening drive. Yeah, strip sack. I mean the turnover. Yeah, strip sack. But it's it's back to your golf analogy. Like we can shoot. You and I can shoot into the seventies, but like that you can great drive can't catch the edge of the trap and trickle back down. It's got to. It's got to hit the one inch on the other side of the trap and then kick out in the fairway. <laughs> Jet forward. Yeah. The, the bump forward, you know? Yeah. The one you kind of yank left <laughs> on the par three is going to bounce off the hill and kick onto the green. The, the ball that you you skull on number three at your course, or number four. Yeah. Or CJ score buddy skulls. <laughs> but ended for, up eight feet from the cup. A 195-yard par three yeah. that, that lands about 80 yards short and runs to 10 feet from the pin. Yeah. That ends up being a great shot. Yeah, we need, They needed all of those. But, I, I, I mean, honestly, here was the other thing I thought, and this is going to be different than what everyone says. It looked like you went out there and had a hell of a practice. You executed against looks that you wanted that were drawn up the way you wanted, and you just made – Play after play after play, did the right thing after the right thing after the right thing, and you're like, man, hell of a practice today. And he just executed. I, I thought that, and I've never really thought that watching the game. Like, man, this is like exactly the way you practiced it. Exactly the way it was, it was practiced. It was, it was drawn up. It was scripted. It was perfect. You had one or two misses. You're like, hey, we'll work on that at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. We're going to go back and look at that one at the end. Yeah, we run like we got. We have eight ten-play series set up here. Uh, the one pick we highlight that at the very end of practice, we go run our four plays that we had mistakes on. Yeah, great practice, boys. <laughs> no, I mean it was it was really good. I mean, it, it's it's the way you drop a game plan against against the Eagles is you you rush the ball forty nine times. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? 
you end up having third and two, third and one, third and four, third and one, third and one, third and one, fourth and one. I mean, you're in situations that are all positive. You control the you control the clock completely. You go down and score at the end of the half, and like, like back to the practice. Like, hey, uh, uh, fourth period here, we're going to have a two minute drill and a half drill. Got to get two knees and make a big throw and have a hell of a catch in the middle of the field. Oh, good good stuff, boys. 28, 27, 26. Get on it, spike it. Like, it was, it was, it was well done. Let's make that. Let's make that kick a real long one and see if Joey can make it here in practice. We're not going to give you a short Everyone one, Joey. Fly, heckle him, heck, heckle. Come on, Joey, come on. <laughs> heckle him. So, turn the noisemaker on. Joey, go, Joey, go. Wendy. It was practice. <laughs> it was practice. I mean, it was just well done. I, I was, I was, I was impressed. They executed very well. But before you get to whatever you're going to talk about next, I, 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 are you are you saying that they got lucky to win the game? Nope. Okay, good. Because no, no. Be- not lucky. Okay, all right. They got good bounces. Good bounces when you're playing golf is also not having misses. Like, yeah. They didn't have a lot of misses. They just had some fortunate bounces. Right. I mean, because they hit it well pretty much all day, and – like you said, you know, it just barely cleared the front of the trap and kicked forward rather than c- catching that lip on a well-hit ball and ending up back in the trap when you just barely pushed it right or didn't draw yeah, enough. It didn't draw it, enough. I mean, right. I, I mean, you, you got up and down a lot. You know, you didn't have – you were just hitting pins. You, you, I mean, you just straight down the fairway, a little short this time. You just got to get up and down here. Okay. And your chip shot to get up and down from 40 yards goes to a foot. You just got to tap in now. <laughs> oh, man. You're only laughing because you love that. <laughs> I do love that because. That's all, that's all the third ones is like, hey, it's second and six. Um, but let's just, we just got to get it up there somewhere. Oh, man, it got close. <laughs> it's so true. It's sec. It's second and seven. Look, we're not. We're not going to get it on the green. Okay, we're two hundred and thirty yards away. Hit, hit a good one down the middle. You know, a buck ninety, two hundred. You got thirty yards. You're up and down for par. Yeah, we don't have to make birdies today. We just got to make sure we're making pars. A couple bogeys here and there is not going to kill us. But make let's make pars, boys. They tied the game up. <laughs> and and at the point they tied it up, I I never felt like Philly. I thought I thought Washington was going to win the rest of the way. When they tied it up seven seven, I've watched so so many games. Yeah, seven seven, and then they're just in control. And then the next drive they have, where the, I mean, they, but I've watched so many games over the last twenty years. Been in so many of them, called them sat there with Washington in games that resembled that type of score and thought, oh, when is it going to, when's it, when's it going to turn? When's the switch in the third quarter that the other team scores 14 and takes control of the game? Why'd you feel so confident? Why'd you feel so confident that early? I thought they were playing great ball. They were striking it well. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just, I, I, that, that was just a feeling that I had as I was sitting there by myself watching the game is, they're they're good here. They're good. They got it. Well, you bet them too on the money line. I to, I told you I was going all in to to win. 
At at seven seven, did you consider a live money line bet since you were so confident there? Because nope. you probably still could have gotten like pl- plus three hundred in the first quarter. I told you I went all in. I had no money left. <laughs> well, you, could, you could have opened up another account. Um, yeah, I'm not. That wasn't really what I was. I'm not going. Like, I don't like going back to the ATM that double down in blackjack. Like, hey, can everyone at this table hold on a minute? I got to run to the ATM so I get this double down. Money. Well, you know what? You don't. You shouldn't have to go to the ATM. I mean, you should be able to say, "Can I get a marker, please?" Uh, and everybody will be sit there kindly and wait. But usually, if you say, "I got to go to the ATM," if you're sitting with some nice people, somebody may give you the hundred bucks for the double down, and then get it back from you. Hey, Tommy, I'll, I'll run to the ATM if I lose. I promise. <laughs> Promise, Tommy. Can you just slip me a hundred so I don't miss on this eight-three double down against the six? Um, you got a lot of black chips sitting there. Just pop one over here. Pop, pop it in. Send it. <laughs> <laughs> you. I'll tell you what, though. I would have given it to you. You would have just taken it from me. You. You would have just said. You. You would have looked at my pile and you would have just taken it. I was. I was at the table alone, man. I. I was sitting right. there alone. Okay. I never considered betting. <laughs> I. I don't bet quite the way. Um, some of my close friends do. Not that intense. <laughs> have you ever made the table wait? I have before. To, I, I've absolutely... I have sat there with friends who have. Well, I mean, it, it, look, if it's if if it's not a lot of money and you're just having fun, but if if you've got, like, put it this way, if if you if, if you've got a, a sizable bet down there and you get two eights against a six and then they pull a third eight and you split it, and then all of a sudden you get a three on the first one. Okay, you got the double-down money, and then the next one you get a two, and you don't have anything left on your pile. I'm making everybody wait. I mean, I'm, well, I, I, yeah, here's when I would definitely do it. When I split the eights, and then I get another eight. Like, i got to split them again. That's what I just said. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not waiting for the double-down. Yeah. Yeah, but but once what I'm what I'm yeah, well, I mean, of course you're gonna right. This split's even more important because it's like, wait a minute, you're gonna you're gonna tell me you're gonna tell me that I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna have to hit a sixteen again, or I'm gonna have to stick on sixteen instead of splitting these eights. No, I'm gonna split the eights. But yeah, that two comes up on the third eight, and I'm like, just hit it. But I think if you're with the right group of people, they understand and they'll wait. I mean, I would never. Of course, I would say, of course, do what you need to do. We'll we'll wait. I hear you, but I, I would, I would just, I mean, if you, if I was there alone, I'd just, just, just hit me here. <laughs> All right. You had Washington on the money line. You felt really good after they tied it up seven, seven. Um, what else? What other observations from the game before we get to whatever you've done film wise? Uh, let's see. Blanket observations. I thought Del Rio did a really good job adjusting to some of the. I think I think he had some zone pressures that they were trying to get to Hertz with early, where they were dropping into some two stuff and sinking back like a D tackle. Usually Jonathan Allen, they got beat on a couple early third downs. I thought they did a good job adjusting and getting out of that and playing some more man, even with man pressure, um, which I think was good on the part of of Del Rio. Uh, was. I don't know. I, I mean, that's about. I mean, blanket observations before we get to film stuff. I think just overall, I was, I was, I was pretty impressed with with top to bottom how they played the game. 
on Scott Turner, you know, the, the second and six, you know, uh, golf analogy that you gave, ah, we're not going to get it on the green. Let's just hit it up there. Did you, I mean, obviously it, it ultimately worked, but on, you know, second and eight, second and nine, second and six, you know, they ran the ball on first and second down in consecutive plays 12 times in the game. And they always ended up with third and very makeable. I, I think I told you this yesterday when we talked, not on the podcast. They had six third and ones. They had five third and twos and third and threes and four third and four third and fives. They had 15 third downs that would fall into the category of ad- advantageous down and distance. And to me, that and the turnovers were the two reasons they won the game. Oh, um, but but did you what did you think of Scott Turner just sticking with that run even though it was producing basically like three yards a carry? I loved it, and it was producing three yards a carry because it was continuing to produce three four yards a carry on every single carry. And there wasn't a, were there any negative carries in the game? One that, one negative carry one one minus one. There was um, right there was almost nothing negative. And the three yards of carry is there was almost no big runs either. Robinson didn't have any big runs. Well, the eleven yarder that got him down to the goal to go situation was the biggest run of the day for the team. That was yeah, it. Yeah, and you gotta have it I think plus fifteen. Well, I guess a lot of people consider plus ten a big run, but I think plus fifteen's a big run. So Yeah, there there's no like massive runs. Uh they just kept pounding it inside. But I also I loved the game plan to run the ball. Uh, and especially early in the game and then as it played out. So early in the game, Philly, they, they're expecting, and Philly does play that three down lineman front with the two stand-up outside guys and, and one or two sometimes backers in the middle. But it, to me, it's a 3-3. Three, three. The thing that I loved is that 3-3 three, three is, is really can be tough to run the ball if you're trying to stretch or, or move because you can't get up, can't get your linemen up to the linebackers because you're covering center, and both guards. So double teams are not really easy against uh, a, what you'd call a jam front. A lot of it's a jam front where you're covering guard, center guard. And so they had some good counterplays where they're pulling guard and tackle. They had some like zone plays where they're taking both tight ends across the formation, motioning one, and then pulling the other one back across and leading up on a linebacker. They had really good answers early in the ballgame to getting somebody up to a linebacker so you essentially don't have any free hitters. And I think that's where Philly has done well against the run is those three big down linemen are allowing those linebackers to be free hitters. But what I like is, sorry, swallow wrong. He started to compliment the run game as he got later in the second quarter into the third quarter, and then he starts getting some outside stuff. Uh, Curtis Samuel gets in the backfield and you want to run stretch zone and I don't think Robinson's fast enough to get to the edge and they run Curtis Samuel on a stretch zone. They get to a second and seven draw play in, later in the second quarter, which I love as a mix-in for a draw on a second and seven or second and six. You know, they, they had a couple bounce plays. Gibson's got a bounce play and they, they really designed it to, to bang it inside early, continue to hit it inside early, either gun and, and or under center. And then complimented once they started getting consistent gains with some bounce plays and some outside plays. Um, and I think some of the play action stuff really complimented off that as well. And I thought Turner was balanced in his first and 10 play calling. 
situation. I mean, they had a lot of back-to-back runs, but they didn't have a ton of back-to-back first and 10 runs. Like first and 10, and then the next set of downs, we're going to run on first and 10. Right. They got some good shot plays uh, to Terry into the middle of the field. And so really, I thought it was, it was probably the best game Turner called throughout the year. I thought he had a nice plan, and they executed the plan, and they stayed in rhythm. And you do, I mean, even though you have all those third ones, you still have to give Washington credit. They got the third ones. Well, there's one they didn't yeah, get, I mean, and then a, they didn't get the fourth down when they had to delay a game. But, yeah, they, they got all the other ones. Yeah, but, yeah that, I mean, it's not, it's not a, a guarantee that you're going to get third and one. Right. And especially when you get down the list of what you've called third and one. I mean, they've seen – you don't have an eight-play package normally on third and one. So. On, the, on the run game, I, I kind of felt like – what you just described is accurate, but one one of the things that you didn't say is, was there a lot of room to run? Because it felt to me like Robinson and Gibson were basically doing a lot of the the work on their own without gaping holes. What, here's what I wrote down right below the, at the end of the run play. The running backs got all the tough yards. Right. They did a great job of putting their head down and driving their legs and getting an extra two on a lot of carries. But it wasn't that they had to put their head down into free hitters. Understood. And unblocked defenders. Understood. It, it was, there's not a ton of movement. and But, I mean, you know, it's not always, if you don't have like that true speed back, and Robinson's not, and he had 26 of carries, you're not going to bounce it to the outside. He just, I don't think he has, I don't think he's got quite the juice at this point to get those bounce plays to the outside. I mean, he actually had a couple opportunities where he could have bounced it further, and I don't think he thinks he can get there. So he just puts his head in the back of one of his offensive linemen who are not, and they didn't get a ton of movement up front. That, that wasn't the case. There wasn't a ton of movement, but they got the tough yards. Right. And they continued. <laughs> and it's funny, like, a lot of times, and as I was watching that game, you think, I mean, we got... 20-plus runs in the first. What do they have in the first half in terms of total runs? Um, I mean, you think you're going to start to pop them. You, you know, one or two here in the second half. We're going to, man, we got to pop something here. And they didn't. They had 51 offensive snaps in the first half, a record for the season, the most uh, by any team. They had 29 runs for 100 yards in the first half. Yeah. 29 runs. I mean, that's a game. Yeah, I mean, and it's like first half for as good first half as they had. Robinson was three point seven, Gibson was two point nine. Heineke had the the zone read on the, right before the end of the half, which got him a couple yards, and Samuel had three carries for six yards. The um, they were just running the ball. I mean, they were getting it was a tough, it was a tough yard situation. I think they were physical. I think they grinded it out. It was. It was awesome. And it was awesome on Turner's part to stay committed to the run. Rivera yesterday, uh, as in Tuesday, said that the average yards per carry is a little skewed because they had all these third and ones and they had some goal line and, you know, you had shorter runs. I went back and took all those out and I took the kneel downs out and even the quarterback scramble out. And it was still not significantly better, but it was like 3.6, 3.6.5 yards per carry. So you do the math on that, and you're, you know, you're at 7.2 yards on, on your first and second down, and you're left with you know, a long two 
on third down, and that's what they had a lot. And um, and and like you, like, you know, there was one negative run between the running backs, Robinson and Gibson. There was a minus one yard run in the first half. That's it. It's all they had. It's a, it's it's really in this day and age, it's a crazy way to do it. You don't see it in this day and age of, you know, the forward pass being your primary way of moving the football. But they did move the football via the forward pass. They just did it, you know, off of an intense commitment to running the football at 3.5 yards, call it a carry. Yeah. Well, and the forward pass helped them. Yes, of course. That's, that, that, that's, the forward pass allowed them to continue to run the ball. And right. there were some, some big throws that when they didn't get yards on first down that Heineke made. I mean, right. I mean there were two or three second and ten, second and nines, the second and twelve throw slant to Terry McCormick where he gets to yards. a third and one. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, there, there were there were some there were some big throws right. in the game. Where do you want to so, start? Where, it, what do you want to do, so, uh, film wise? I think what what just happened was we started with the run game and some of the Scott Turner stuff. Yeah. So you know, just organically that came about. But I, I, to me, I would start I, like one. I'll start with Terry McLaurin, and I, as well as they run the ran the ball and Scott Turner the way it played out. I think if you had two game balls to give out, you give one to Terry McLaurin and you give one to Taylor Heineke. Terry McLaurin was essentially matched up against what really right now is statistically the best corner in the league, and Darius Slay. Yep. He killed him. Yeah. He tore him up. And there, there were very few times that Terry McLaurin wasn't open, and and there were some there were some things that Terry did that are that are just unbelievable. Like he caught a go ball in the third quarter down the right sideline. He's got a little bit outside leverage with Slay. He sticks him outside. He releases inside, and then he gets in on top of him, stacks him, which means vertically he's right on top of him, but doesn't drift. Does what you call in, in football holds the red line because they paint a red line on the practice fields in between the numbers and the sideline. You, you don't want to be wider than that. And it allows enough room for Heineke to drop a perfect ball. Like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it, wide open on slant routes, uh, big corner route in man-to-man coverage where he had two whip routes outside of him where he, he just continued to really, I, I think, establish two to three yards of separation on so many plays. It seemed like he was and wide open all day, all night. All all game. All game. And, you know, you look back and you're like, okay, he, he's got eight catches for 128 yards. Yeah. Is it the Justin Jefferson game? No. But keep in mind, it's, I'll bet you six of those catches are one-on-one with Darius Slay. I'll, I would be surprised if you find another game this season that Slay's given up that many, that percentage thrown at. Right. I think he's like 20-some percent when thrown at. They were 60-plus when they threw at Slay with Terry McLaurin. So Terry did a phenomenal job winning for them. Like I said, and, and we'll get to Heineke's stuff, but, you know, uh, uh, second and ten slants are huge, you know. And, and An wh- inside slant on second and 12 is, is massive. Those are chain movers. Those are drive savers. How much? And he had four or five. How many of those? Sl- there, there were four or five slants. I mean, there are three or four slants out of the eight catches. It seemed like. How many of those were just against coverage that was soft? That was off. Yeah, one or two. The two inside slants. It, it can be zone coverage, but they're zone matching inside, so it's essentially becoming man to man. I think 
think the first one, if I look, it, it almost looks like Slay may have blown it, blown a coverage there. But Philly played a lot of man or a lot of two man in in a lot of those situations. Like they didn't just turn Terry free into zone coverage. They 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 played two man or they played some single high man where they really matched Terry. So it wasn't he made it look soft is basically the way I saw it. I think their plan was Slay will lock down Terry McLaurin and you can run it for three yards of carry and see if you can beat us elsewhere. And that plan did not work out for the Eagles. Game ball would go to Terry McLaurin, in my opinion. Yep. Game ball. Uh, Heineke would be the other game ball. Okay, talk about him. So, the the good, I don't, he missed one throw, really, or two. When you, when you, when you start talking about the good stuff from Heineke, I mean, this will go, this is also Terry McLaurin, this is an underrated throw. There's a third down in three, I think second quarter, and Terry has got, he's inside, he's got Slay playing off five yards and outside two yards. He's running a five-yard out route into coverage, essentially running it into Slay. Heineke literally rocks and throws, does not take any time, and puts it just behind McLaurin on his back knee. Terry goes down, makes a catch for five yards, and Slay has no chance. Those are huge throws. Like, those are throws that Wentz has not been making at all. Like, he knows he's going to Terry. He knows he's got bad leverage, so he's going to throw him behind and throw it open and let Terry go down and make a catch and get a first down. Right. That's, that's absolutely massive. Um, all right, let's go going through the game. I think the first third and four they don't get before the roughing the punter. I thought it was a great ball to Samuel on that pick play. I think he gave Samuel a chance to go get that. He's got safety help coming over the top, so he doesn't want to let it go too high and far, and I thought he gave him a back shoulder opportunity. Samuel just had a poor adjust to the ball. It's not terrible. It's good coverage, but I think that's a really good throw. You didn't think that was underthrown? Uh, I think it's purposely underthrown. Okay. Is what I'm trying to say, okay. I guess. He's got safety coming, a single high safety coming over the top. I, I think it's, it's perfectly underthrown. I think Samuel's got a chance to go make that play. You got a DB with his back turned to it and a receiver that sees the ball. Got it. More times than not, you see a good receiver make that catch. Um, throughout the game, I thought he stayed up in the pocket. He did not give Philly a lot of opportunities to rush him at eight, nine, ten yards. That's what killed, killed Wentz in the last game against the Eagles was he was at ten yards in the pocket. He was in gun taking five step drops. I think he stayed up in the pocket throughout the game, and he got the ball out with the decisiveness and accuracy throughout the entire game. He had a big slant throw after big slant throw. Uh, just going through notes. How about the bad snap over his head that well, he gets back to the huge line? Huge play. Huge play. It's a massive, massive play in the game. Yep. Um, they ended up they ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive. I mean, if not, they're punting. That's a twenty yard loss. No, oh, it's a it's a it's a massive play. Yeah, uh, he, he's got a keeper late first, early second quarter where he rolls right. He's got Graham in his face. He sets up and throws to Bates, who does a heck of a job crossing the defender's face. But I mean, it's not that often you see a quarterback pull up quick on a keeper and throw the corner route. Like usually they're dumping that quick flat route on the bootleg deal. Uh, I mean, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, the corner route to McLaurin on the fourth drive. 
to get him down to the 25-yard line. Oh, yeah. he, he reads coverage really well. He sees man coverage, safety off, and instead of just throwing that underneath five-yard whip route, which he could have thrown, was open, he finds Terry over the top to the corner route. I wrote this as a great throw. I know it's not a great throw, but it's after a, a, a spike play he, uh, when he gets, which was also huge, when he gets to the zone run to Deami Brown. That ball's low. Yeah. But, dude, you are throwing a ball into a tight window in the middle of the field, and you gave yourself a chance to go get the to go make the play. You gave your receiver a chance to go make the play. It's a heck of a catch by DeAndre Brown. Yeah. And it's amazing that they, that's only his fourth catch of the year. I know. But to do that, and then also, I mean, watch real time again the operation with Heineke to know that he's got to get the ball right now, right meow, and get up and spike the ball. Yeah. It's awesome. No, he's very aware. He's good at that stuff at the whole clock management stuff. He doesn't need to rely on a coach to tell him what to do. No. He's, he's got that covered. Uh, the deep ball to Terry in the third quarter, the go ball on the outside. Best ball he's That's thrown all year. Dime. But he went through a, 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 really through a second into the third quarter where he didn't miss, Kev. Yeah. Like, balls on slants are out in front of receivers so they can continue to run, to, run into the ball and catch and run with the ball. Now, there, once he, he got into a rhythm into the second quarter where he... He had a couple sail on him in the first half, a couple of them. Mm-hmm. He did. He had a couple couple high balls. Uh, but overall, and, and then I mean, he's just, I love, and this is what I, when he's making throws and the ball's coming out in rhythm and time, he, he's really good. And I love that he's a really situationally aware player. Like you, you can tell he's a guy that thinks about the game. I mean, the third down late where he just takes the sack, the weird, awkward knee. Yep. It, the way he gets up to really signal first down, he, you said this to me yesterday, and I, I was like, I don't know. I mean, he just he's just making sure he doesn't throw an incompletion or, or do something stupid, and he's just taking a knee. I actually believe you. I think he baited it. He said that. I mean, you don't know you're going to get it, but I think the way he did, I mean, the, the quickness of which he like he gets up, he knows immediately it's late. Hit. Now he's got the first down signal. He's all hyped, and up. he knows the game's he over. He he also knows the game's over at that point. But you know, he did say um, that uh, there was they were going to try to throw it there, and he said if Terry was open, I was going to take Terry. If not, we were going to take the sack, try to burn some clock. Um, but you know, no one told him to kneel in the middle of trying to escape pressure. You know, it, it was it, that was him instinctually. Right. You don't have to give him a you don't have to give him a quiz in those situations. He's already passed it. He's played a lot of ball, and he know he definitely knows these situational stuff. Things, things. Yeah, agreed. Two two more throws because I wrote this in the third down page that I don't want to overlook. Early in the game, third and four, he hits the deep over to Terry McLaurin. It's a great throw. Uh, later in the game, it's a third and six that he hits an inside deep in to Samuel. Samuel, yeah. He's got 97 in his face, and he throws a dime to Samuel in the middle of the field. On a, we'd call it an inside dagger concept. But he's looking, like I thought throughout the game, the positives really, the accuracy was awesome. Uh, decision-making was really, really good. Decisiveness and anticipation I thought was really good. Uh, the ability to throw the ball and have courage under pressure, I was impressed with. He, he played with the utmost confidence, and I love seeing that in a quarterback. I mean, 
big throws throughout the game. A couple of the negative plays from Heineke, and I think only two are, are you know, glaring negatives. One, the third and three go ball to Terry McLaurin that gets picked into cover two. He is, and I know what he's doing there. He's in baller mode. Like, I can make any throw. I can fit any throw. I'm going to, I got it. He doesn't do anything to hold the safety. He knows he's going to Terry. He stares it down, and he tries to make a throw, and it's picked. Now, what's funny is during the game, Aikman said he got away with one earlier. And we hadn't talked about this, but he threw the same kind of go ball right. with perfect timing to McLaurin in the, into the end zone, and the safety comes there to break it up. And amazingly, if you watch that again, Terry actually comes down with the ball. He's out of bounds. It bounces off two or three guys, and he comes down I, don't, I didn't hate that throw. But he didn't look the that, safety that, off on that one either. He didn't do a good enough job, but he let it go so quick mm-hmm. that he beat the safety and gave Terry a chance to come down with that ball as a contested catch. Got it. The second time he throws that on four verts, he, 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 they got him. And in, in the second time is a third and three, and the way they're playing soft to the verts, just hit Gibson for with the check down. Easy. Move chains. Yeah. He's in baller mode. Like, I can do anything. The funny you know thing, I mean? though, he's is just, that they had they actually had bogged down. Course. What? They said he's playing 17 at your course, and he's pulling out driver no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I think that, that, was, that was a big negative throw. The other miss, I think, and this was this was a little tougher. The sack at the six yard line, and they end up holding for a field goal. Yeah. Again, Troy goes back and he says, "Man, you got Gibson out in the flat to the right. They they're running a, like an all mesh everything crossers, and Gibson releases out to the right. He did, but he never looked at Gibson. I he th- also had Samuel crossing the field from the other direction, and he's open. Now he's going to get hit." The pressure was quick, but, though. I didn't think that was on him. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's totally on him, but I do think the ball can come out right now to Samuel. He'll, I promise you he, he thinks the ball can come out to Samuel. It was quick pressure. It was not good protection, mm-hmm. which, by the way, was actually really good through most of the day. Much but better. But it also goes back to trying to keep moving and sitting upwards in the pocket, also, not sitting deep. Also had to do with they just figured they were going to run the ball on every single play. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, that helps. But I do think he could have got Samuel there. Uh, the other couple thoughts I had early in the game, he misses one. He throws on a on a kind of a boot roll out right. He throws Logan. Logan Thomas into a two-trap corner, yeah. which he didn't see. And that's like, I don't know, 10 years ago, you're on, you got jacked up on that one. Right. That is a, a knock-your-head-off throw right there. Right. And if the corner pulls off any quicker, that's not just to knock your head off throw. It's worse. It's a pick because the corner can fall off and see that. And on the third drive, he threw a dig to McLaurin on a play-action pass. And it was, it, it was a ball that, that sailed on him. Yeah. He's got a deep crosser. And the backside corner, Bradbury, turns and runs inside and then sees it late and bells and picks it up. If he lets that deep crosser go, it's it's big. 
it's not scoring. The safety's going to come over on top and make a hit right after he catches it. But he had an opportunity there to throw that ball. The other one I think he got a little bit lucky on. There was a P.I. against McLaurin on a play-action pass. Terry was running a dig on the left, and he was looking at, I think, Samuel on the other side running a deep comeback. or, or uh, It doesn't matter. He's looking at a deep comeback on his right, and he comes back late and he throws one way over Terry's head, but Terry gets held, and it's clear holding. I mean, that's, that's a risky throw. Right. I don't love that throw. They get the penalty. But, you know, I actually wrote initially from the sideline view, I was like, man, he, that's so smart of him because he, he can see the hold or you'd see the hold and then just letting it go high and say, well, look, obvious hold, we're going to – he never – he didn't see the hold. He was reading the right side of the field and just came back late to throw a dig. And then lastly, I mean, there was an opportunity on the sideline play to get a little bit better ball in. but At the end of the first a, half? That's tough. The end of the, the the end of the first half. Yeah, but I, I mean, if I I'm grading Heineke as an it's an A in this game. If I was grading this, this is an this is an A performance. I think he was awesome against a good defense against a very good secondary. Right. I'd uh, say Turner was an A. I'd say Heineke was an A. I, I would say offensive line in terms of protection was probably a B. I think your running backs, it's Robinson's in that B-ish range. I don't think there was a ton of things. I don't necessarily think Robinson has popped to the hole. I, I, when you get a big back running upright, it's scary when they hit it harder and faster. I think he's slow to the hole. So I, maybe there, it could have been, you know, instead of 3.1, it could have been 3.8 or 4.2 if he's hitting the hole harder. But, you know, offensively, really, really impressive. So impressive. Uh, what did you think of the one thing with Taylor you didn't mention? There were a couple of zone read keepers. Yeah, and I, I think he may have missed one too, but you never. It's, sometimes it's hard to tell. Did you what th- they have called? You know, before the um, the sack uh, at the goal line, the second down play. It looked a little bit like I think it was an RPO, and he threw it away. Logan Thomas wasn't open. I don't know if you saw that play. I think there were there there were linemen down. Yeah, it was a boot. It was a boot. It was a keeper. I think it was a. I think it was a keeper. I gotta go Logan back. Thomas is running a flat, and he's got Terry McLaurin running a corner, and he's got pressure off of the right side in his face. He tried to let one go high to let Logan run under it. Had he had like a millisecond more, he could have got Terry with that same kind of ball, who had a little bit more separation, but. It, it, I will say, here's the other thing. This was your conversation over the last week. Man, you got to get him on the edge. Did you get one keeper play that didn't have pressure immediately off the edge? Right. And that 3-3 three, three wide outside stand-up linebacker front when they can see? Right. No, you didn't. It wasn't. It's hard to get to the edge of that with the quarterback. Right. Yeah, so you have It wasn't a game yeah. where you're going to call 22 bootlegs. You can't against that defense. And the I minute, mean, Kyle and the, will. But. And the Minnesota, well, the Minnesota defense, your two best players on defense were their two DNs. Right. Um, okay, what else you got? I mean, obviously I watched the entire game, and I think there's some stuff defensively. All right, well, uh, let's get – One, I – Well, hold on. Let's, let's we get a say, break, I was going to say. Yeah, okay, you were going to say that? I don't think you were. I think you were going to go right yeah, into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, We're going to get to whatever else you have left right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. 
Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. High Marks for Scott Turner, for Taylor Heineke, and for Terry McLaurin. And pretty good marks for the offensive line and and everybody else on offense. It was a great night for the offense. Uh, What about the defense? Here's what's awesome about this defense. Uh, Start with the idea of how you beat Jalen Hurts and and a lot of young quarterbacks. You just don't give them any shot plays. You play off enough. You play good coverage and you don't give them any big shot plays. The Philly did not have one single play over 20 yards. Well. Their biggest play was Quez Watkins. That he fumbled on. For 16 yards. Well, no, no, no. The deep shot to Watkins that he got up and then fumbled on at the end of the game. You forgot that one. The deep shot where he got behind the defense. That's actually very true. Yeah. I did forget about that one. But he fumbled, so. Right. That was amazing, by the way. That was that was that was another lucky bounce. That that one was a lucky bounce. It was a good play by St. Juice. It was a great play by St. Juice. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, honestly, if you play the Eagles and you say, "Hey, if we can keep them less than four plays over twenty yards, or four or less plays, you're in pretty good shape against Philly." Absolutely. They, you, just, they, they only really had. They didn't have many plays. Go ahead. They just didn't have many plays in the game. No, they didn't have many plays. Yeah. But they did, I think they did a really good job forcing Hurts to throw the ball underneath. Right. And I think Hurts made some good throws. I think he missed some throws as well. I don't but there like I I didn't look at this game and go, "Oh my god, there were three shots that he didn't see." It, there wasn't open receivers running down the field. They forced him to throw underneath and then they did a phenomenal job rallying to ball out uh pursuit and getting guys on the ground. They didn't have a lot of missed tackles in this game. 
I mean, what, one or two? Like, St. Juice missed one on Smith when he scores. Right. That, that's the only one I can it's remember. Present. Yeah, they tackled well. And I think a couple couple where Miles Sanders maybe got loose a little bit, but for the most part, you know, you, you had held Philly to 20 rushes for 94 yards. and that's Well, they didn't, they didn't even try to run it in the first half. They, they decided they weren't going to run the football in the first half, and then – I think they needed to give the defense a little bit of a break, and so they got a little bit of, 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 of some running game going in the second half with Sanders. But it wasn't, you know, the first half, I think their 19 plays, 16 of them were dropbacks. No, it's, they, they, they just didn't have the ball in the first half. It's, right. It's amazing. The, the other amazing stat for this defense, A.J. Brown, four targets, one catch, seven yards. They literally took him out of the game. Well, he was. I actually he got hurt early. Yeah, yeah. Like, did he have a hangover? My God. Well, he was hurt. I know early. he got hurt early. Yeah, he, he looked terrible. But they, but they take him out of the game. You know, Smith, who killed him last game, ever had six catches for thirty-nine yards. Right. I, I mean, if 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 you play Philly and their biggest stat line for receivers, Quez Watkins, four for eighty, you, you're winning the game. The the funny thing is, though, if he doesn't fumble that football. That one fifty-yard play may have been the difference in the game. <laughs> I just never felt that way, but I, I I do know what you're saying. Well, they they have been excellent. Um, they they, they complimented. Yeah. Uh, they've just been excellent at scoring touchdowns when they're in the red zone. So they go up twenty-seven, twenty-six, or twenty-nine, twenty-six if he doesn't fumble. But to your point. You know, I wouldn't have thought game over at that point at all because I would have expected Washington to come down and potentially get a, a game tying or game winning field goal with the way they were playing. And they had time; they wouldn't. Have, yeah, they wouldn't have. They wouldn't have had to go drop back. There were like six minutes left, something like that, when he fumbled. Right. No, I, I would have not been one bit surprised. Right. No, they, uh, they taught like yank face mask and punch ball out, which worked really well this week. <laughs> That worked well, but no, I think I think Del Rio did a good job changing plan early in the game, saying, "Okay, the zone pressure isn't exactly what we want." But then, on top of that, I think St. Juice and Fuller played really good games. I think Fuller played maybe his best game throughout the year. St. Juice has been really, really good. Right. Uh, the only one was St. Juice. There was that PI early in the game. That's not PI. Did you think that was PI on St. Juice? I did. I, I, I did. I, I did not think that it was I – mean, I, I, I think our fans went nuts and said that was a terrible call. I think by the rule there was, a, there was definitely a grab, a tug. I thought, I thought that you know, it, it didn't surprise me that that got flagged. Now, I did not think that Dotson should have been called for OPI, and I think that was a makeup, almost a makeup call for the missed, uh, missed face mask. Yeah, we actually didn't mention that on the offensive side. That is, that is a rub route. They're, they're, they're rub routes. Right. They're not pick routes. They're rubs. That mm-hmm. was as clean. That is, if I was to go and coach that exact play in high school football, that is the best rub route I've ever seen. He throws his hand. He get, he get, first of all, he gets pushed into it. So it's not OPI. He, get, he gets jammed and pushed. The DB on top of Dotson is making contact, pushing him into the other defender, and he turns his body sideways. He doesn't hit him square. 
and he opens up to the ball. Right. It's not okay. It's his, it's the it is clinic rub rub. Um, and I, I still I, I watched that St. Juice play twenty times. I, I it's a fifty fifty call right now in the league. That wasn't getting called in Minnesota. No, and they, it wasn't getting called in, in a few games over the weekend. Yeah, and it wasn't called last week really that much. I mean, they called it on the pick six at the end, but they let a lot of other stuff against Jefferson go when Washington played him. I, I think. Well, you you answered the question. I mean, it's a it's a fifty fifty call. You can't be surprised if that if that gets flagged. I guess that would be my 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 point there is that uh, a lot. I saw a lot of people saying that's a horrible call, horrible call. I didn't think it was a horrible call. I've seen less flagged, and I've seen more let go. Fair enough. I I don't think it's OPI I, or, D, or DPI. The, the, I did I did not think it was DPI. I want I want you to explain something real quickly. Because I understand what a rub route is, but still the intention of the rub route is to create space via a rub and or a pick for the receiver, Samuel in this case, on the inside to come free. What's the difference in your mind between a rub and a pick? Because you can't pick. Well, there are no, pick, there are no, there are no picks of basketball play. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I just want to make sure we were talking about the same thing. And he, you can't make contact with the DB in football. I know. I mean, and, but I don't think he did. I think he did enough. To there make was the DB contact. Have to go underneath him, and he was pushed into contact. Okay, but but here's what I would say to you. I think it was a terrible call because of that. But when you're running those rubs or those picks, you can't make contact, and you have to sell. Which I thought Dotson did well. That you're running your route. So if there is contact, it's not intentional contact. It's really so. Here's the way I always, here's the way I always thought of it, and this is this is how I always try to operate. So the way the way you want that to work out is he starts to come in on the slant or in route. He is trying to do anything he can to set an angle to make the defender run underneath of him. Right. And so think of it like you're walking down a hallway and somebody else is walking in your direction, and you do that weird side shuffle like oh 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 sorry anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Avoiding you. Yeah. You just want to make sure they always avoid you to your right in that situation. See, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> like, I mean, it's that awkward. Like, I don't know which way we're going here, but I do know. I, I just don't want to tell you that you are going underneath me. And so if that DB sets an angle higher, then he sets that plant route at a higher angle to try to continue to force him to some point. But it, it's never been coached. I, like, I was never coached this way. I would not coach it this way. You don't want to make contact. You're trying to entice the defender to just go underneath you because he can't make up the separation if he goes underneath. Right. And then the way it's read out by the quarterback is it, once the DB makes the decision to go underneath you, you're throwing the route, the wheel behind it. Yeah. If the DB goes high over the top, you just bang the slant. Yeah, you're reading that defender that you're trying to rub, and he's, you're trying to just make him make a decision. It's not a predetermined. We're throwing. We are pick, picking for this guy, and this is the only guy. That's not a predetermined route. It's the decision off of the defender. Sure, it's it's. So you're not coached to run into him, and I think he was pushed into him. I think he turned his body clean, and I think it was fair, fair play. In basketball, if he goes underneath the screen, you're popping the jump shot. If he's fighting over top of the screen, you're turning the corner and you're playing full pick and roll, and so or pick and pop. And it's it's the same thing. You've got you've got to read, you've got to read what happens 
in that process with the DB. You got her, buddy. All right, what else? Uh, Look, I thought the secondary played really good. We talked about it. I think Fuller played really well. I mean, a couple big plays. The the drive on the third and four, third and five on A.J. Brown to have a pass breakup was huge. Uh, The forced interception was really, really good, and it was a big play in the game, in a close game at the time. I mean, he looks flat-footed as a single high safety, but he's able to flip his hips and run run to the post. And then to make a big-time play on the ball was huge. I I love St. Juice. I think he's a heck of a player. Um, The D-line wasn't a dynamic impact in this game in terms of statistics, but they kept Hurts in the pocket. They had a good plan to slant and stunt and, and loop around and keep him in the pocket throughout the game. And essentially, they played this Philly team in a lot of man coverage after the first couple series where they converted first downs. So I was really impressed. I mean, there's a couple, there, there's a botch early, uh, third and 10 down right around the 30. Devontae Smith gets it like 12 or 13 or whatever. On a, they have, It's about one of the only plays where they're looking around pre-snap like, what do we got? You know, they really settled in defensively. Um, you hold Philly to no big plays and to essentially two scoring drives. I'm not counting the right. sack fumble. Yeah. Which, by the way, wasn't Heineke's fault. No, it was be- Lucas was beat immediately. Yeah. Was not Heineke's fault. I mean, so I'm not, and I'm not counting that as a, as a Philly big time drive. Um, you hold them the way the defense held them. And, and I think, Really impressive, you know. A couple third downs, I'm sure they'd like to have back, but they made those adjustments. Oh, the last thing I wanted to mention, I didn't say this about Robinson. I thought his best three runs were first and ten from the ten, second and, what, four, that he almost, that looks like he gets in, and then the third one to get the ball over the goal line. I didn't say that, but I was impressed by those three things. And that essentially is everything I got for you. That's a lot. You really did a great job today. I'm I'm actually I'm actually surprised because when we talked yesterday Never. I I didn't know that you were going to actually spend the time to look at it. I thought we were just going to have another conversation about the game because you did watch the game, but you clearly went because you told me last night the all twenty two is not even up. And what did I say to you as I was half asleep talking to you last night? It'll be up tomorrow. Watch it. I said it'll be up late tonight. It's yeah, usually got up and watched it. You did. That was well done. I appreciate you know what's funny? it. What? Remember the last film breakdown with Philadelphia when we said, it, it, this is run the, the defense that you got to attack in the middle and you got to run the football. And, they're like, and you said, why didn't they do that? And then I said, because they're idiots. <laughs> and, and then I, I, you paid me to say that, but I said it anyways. And then I got <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pay you to say it. Just make sure you tell everybody that that's not true. Bucks, dude. I okay. mean, don't lie. Right. Okay. Sent it over you, you, it, it became a headline. I didn't pay you anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't even think twice about that one, actually. Um. I mean, I I don't I didn't even care. I did, after it came out and you told me I didn't think twice about it. They it wasn't good, but you know what? They're not idiots. They learned from their mistakes in the first game, and they they came back and and fixed the problem. Totally redeemed themselves. See if they can do it next week. Here's here's the exact quote. All right, because I'm reading from the stories that were written. Um, Cooley marveled that the Eagles played a three-man defensive front many times in the game. I don't know how many teams could play this in the NFL. You were just counting on teams throwing the ball on first first down. It's a 3-4 front as they can bail the two ends like linebackers. It's a 3-4 front with only one linebacker, which makes it a 3-3. That Sheehan reacted. Then why didn't they run against this? Cooley responded, because they're idiots. 
I don't know. They actually ran the ball okay when they ran the ball, but they never committed to it. I think Scott Turner read this. Oh, he read it. I promise he read it. He didn't like it. Yeah, pretty funny. Well, they – He read it, and then he said – he said uh, on Monday, I'm going to run the ball more this week. I really think we can run the ball against this defense. (laughs) All right. uh, You'll give us a Houston preview for Friday because I don't think this is an easy game. No. No game's an easy game for them right now. Right. All right. uh, Thanks for doing this. Back tomorrow with Tommy.